This is the Never Heard of It podcast. I am Sean Harwell, and this is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our crack. <laughs> uh huh. Can't can't even do it again. Can't do it. Just one more time, can you? Through our quacks. I'm not. I'm through not going to do it again. We're going to leave this no. in. I am joined by uh, the, my co-quacker, Craig Moorhead. Craig, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Sean. It's a duck's life for me. Mm-hmm. How how are you doing? I'm quacking up over here, Craig. Oh, no. Ruffled my feathers and everything. Don't get down. Nice. Okay, thanks. That's, I don't know, something with webs. Yeah. I, we're not going to go down that road. Sure. I'm doing good. I'm a little tired. It's been a busy week, but uh, the cold weather that we wanted is here. And in fact, I was, like, I was a, little, a little colder than I wanted wanted to be right yeah, now. When is it like, going to warm up finally? Like, what the heck? Ugh. But that's nice, too. I'm not going to complain. Absolutely. And yeah, man, we're watching horror movies and uh, getting ready yeah. for the... The big night of the trick and or treating. Very much in the same boat. Uh, you know, the other day my, my wife went to Costco to get food and came home with a big plastic skeleton. Ooh. So we've had this big plastic skeleton that we've been like putting in different rooms every day to try That's and fine. like, you know, scare each other and so on. Yeah, it's it's actually really great. Is it full size human skeleton? Absolutely Ooh, nice. full size. Yeah. You can find these things all over the place now. We have a skeleton, I believe it's a cat. And Mm -hmm. I picked up a, we got that last year and got a skeleton rat this year. Right. And so my daughter this morning, she pointed out that she had put the rat inside the skeleton cat's mouth, which was pretty clever, I thought. That is a little story there. Yeah, it was a little creepy. I got to say, I've been thinking about the fact that, I mean, uh, not that you have to scratch very deep to figure out why this is, (laughs) but, but why a skeleton is thought to be a scary Halloween thing. I don't know. You know, like a human skeleton. Like, would a dog like walk in and see a human skeleton and be like, "That's not scary." I'd be like, "That's dinner. That's what they would." Think. Right. I mean, exactly. Yeah. It's just, just our, our fear of death. That's what Halloween is is maybe based on. I don't know. We could do some research to figure out sort of what was the first film representation of like a skeleton come to life. Yeah. I feel like that. I bet it was in the very first scary movie. Probably. I, I guarantee. Yeah. It. Probably. Yeah. Well, that's uh, all we have this week for skeleton talk. Oh, Skeleton Talk with Sean and Craig. (laughs) See you next week. All right. Let's move on to our other podcast where we talk about movies. And uh, today we're going to talk about Spider Baby from 1967. Hopefully you listened to the tee-up. Enjoyed listening to that tee-up again myself. I'm just going to say, I know that's a bit, there's no humility in saying that. It's nice to hear these stories about how a movie like this got made, Mm -hmm. which is a movie I wasn't really even aware existed until you brought it up a couple weeks ago. And uh, here we are just full of knowledge about it, which is cool. Uh, Before we do all of that, Craig, why don't you quickly tell people where they can uh, stop in online and say hello, and uh, then we'll talk about some other stuff we watched. Well, don't be shocked, but I'll do just that. So you can find us at neverheardpodcast.com, where you can find write-ups on our longer episodes, and you can find every episode we've ever done. You can listen to it right from the site. Uh, on that site also. Oh, by the way, we have brief bios about both of us. Oh, we do, don't we? I mean, you want to know a little more about us? Eh, give it a read, you know? And then uh, and then you can find us uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. I believe we have links on our site where you can actually get to those places so you don't have to, like, you know, go to Instagram and, like, search because that's ridiculous. Uh, and then uh, you can find the actual podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher and on Spotify. And, uh, you know, whenever you're there, if you listen to it, if you like what you hear, think about leaving a review, uh, uh, maybe a, some stars and, and or subscribing to the uh, podcast because that helps other people find it. If you could do all those things, that would be your Christmas gift to us mm-hmm. this year. Well, how about you give me an early Halloween gift by telling me what mm-hmm. else you've watched, Craig? Oh, I'll be glad to. I can't believe, I mean, since since October 1st was the last time we talked about what movies we watched. Yeah, pretty much. And somehow the only two movies I've watched, I feel like this is impossible, but I'll go with it. <laughs> the only two movies I've watched 
in uh, in the last uh, 17, 16 days is Star Wars The Last Jedi. Okay. Again. Yeah. And the movie Urban Legend. Huh. Urban Legend was one of the uh, slashers that came out at the end of the 90s. Uh, very much because of Scream's success. Right. It's about Keith Urban, the country It's musician. about Keith Urban and how it's a true story and how he fled his small town of slashers. Where is this movie on our slate of remake everything? I feel like it's time, right? You know, honestly, I kind of wish they would uh, because this movie has a great idea, has a mostly great cast, and the execution of it is not my favorite. There you go. It kind of has a really good first opening scene, which I don't know if you remember in the 90s, every slasher movie after Scream had to have an extended sort of short film opening scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I loved that. I loved that that was like in vogue and like people were doing that. Um, and this one has like a very clever idea for it. The whole movie is a great idea. It's urban legends, right? Yeah. Like they're so creepy and everyone's heard them. And then, but, but this one just completely leaves the rails on like a thousand different. It's kind of fun to watch because it's like, yeah. there's a point at which clearly no one on the set cared anymore if any of it made any sense. <laughs> and and they were just like, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. The, I mean, the kill, the killer just killed somebody at that frat house, but now they're over in the other building across campus. It doesn't matter. Nah. Just like, all right. But yeah, it, 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 that one's always seemed like it was a missed opportunity to me. Like, I, I love the world of it. It's like this private college yeah. uh, that's kind of like these old stone buildings. Like, the setting was great, and a bunch of the actors were really good. And I mean, Jared Leto's in there. Oh, wow. The Joker. Yeah, I forgot about that. Anyway, it's not that great. But I also wanted to say, uh, I watched it on, on Amazon Prime, or under the Amazon umbrella, they were showing stuff from IMDb TV. Right. Which has ads on it. And I got to say, the experience of watching that on IMD, IMDb TV, it's hard, to say. it's hard to say, and it's honestly a little hard to watch. The quality of the movie is good, but where they chop in for a commercial break is seems random. And like, no matter what you do, when you come to start the movie up again, wherever you were, it starts with a commercial. Oh, no. And it just seems like I'm watching mostly commercials, and I'm just like, man, I would love it if... I don't know. There were just less commercials during this time. I mean, I understand we got to pay the bills, but that was not my favorite experience uh, watching any of that stuff. But those were the movies I watched, Sean. Uh, I want to know what you watched. I watched a couple things, Craig, and I'll start with the most recent movie I watched, which was Toy Story 4, Quattros. Yeah. Have you seen this? I have. I feel like I ought to watch it again because I... <laughs> I didn't think it was the best. And like today I was reading a review and you're like, oh, this is arguably the best Toy Story movie ever made. And you know, it's mm. very existential. And they were like referencing Jean-Paul Sartre. And I'm like, well, I mean, I just was like, it's not very funny though. But <laughs> I don't know. For <laughs> me, what I, I can pinpoint exactly what I disliked about this one compared to the other one, and that was that I felt like the time not spent with Buzz and the and the others who aren't Woody, the other toys, was uh, was dearly missed in this. I felt like they didn't have much to do, yeah. And it was more about Woody and Bo Peep, and some of that, as far as Woody's existential crisis of being a toy and his identity, I felt a bit of a retread. I watched yeah. Toy Story 3 and 2 probably not too long ago uh, with my daughter, and they're fresh in the mind. So I don't know. I didn't I didn't love it. So I was hoping Forky would make me laugh more than he did. And uh, it looks incredible, I'll say that much. Like, that movie yeah. looks insane. And it's crazy to go back and watch these and just see the progression of Pixar's animation. It's, I mean, like the rainstorm really that is. this movie opens with. It, mm -hmm. it it looks insane. It just is amazing. So that's my it take. It is. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a little more fun with it than you did, I think. But I think where we can agree is that it, it does feel like a, a little like a postscript or something. Like mm -hmm. the third one felt like the end. I mean, that's that's all the toys moving on. Andy moves on. I mean, yeah, that's right. what it's about. So this one just felt like... Yeah, well, well, I don't know that I needed to know what happened with Woody specifically, and, th and that he decides not to be a toy like anymore. Like, 
Yeah. That, whatever that was that was happening there, I did not connect with. Um, yeah. I, I did find a lot of it very funny. I, like, I think I found Forky maybe funnier than you found it. But, I mean, we're, we're splitting hairs at that point. Yeah, especially, like, for laughs. That's one of those things, like, I, I certainly would go back and watch again and might have a completely different sort of experience. Sure. I've had that happen with other Pixar movies a little bit. Monsters, Inc., yeah. notably, the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, it was okay. And then uh, I liked mm-hmm. it much better upon repeated viewings. Anyway, moving along. Mm-hmm. I watched uh, First Blood, the uh, original John Rambo story, mm-hmm. which is, yes, strikingly different than the sequel that we talked about in our 1985 yeah. series. I mean, for for real. Like, they are two different worlds. Night yeah. and day. And well, I really liked this. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And uh, it's just a cool story. Like, it's cool story with very little exposition and just kind of gets into it and you feel for this guy and thought Stallone was sympathetic in his insanity and like a really sad, sad ending. Like, I don't know if you remember that ending, yeah. but it's, it's, sad. Oh, I, I totally do. I mean, I mean, is it, is it snobby to say that this is like the smart Rambo movie and the rest of them kind of just weren't, it might fall snobby to, to put it that way per se, but yeah. uh, the most emotional. Sure. Yeah, maybe maybe smart isn't the thing, but it just felt like yeah, it, it's much more of a character movie yeah. than an action movie, and and yet there's some fantastic action in the movie. Yeah, there's some really good action. Uh, David Caruso was in that. Do you remember that? He's very orange here. I don't. I don't remember him being in that at all. It was kind of funny to watch him. Uh, and then last but not least, I uh, will mention the death of Dick Long. Mm. Yeah, if you don't know about this movie, I'm not going to say anything about the plot. I mean, obviously, the title is either going to pique your interest or make you run far, far away, and you shouldn't, <laughs> because this is a very dark comedy, and I, I emphasize comedy. I thought it was hilarious. Set in a small Alabama town, which may be slightly redundant to say. I don't know. I've never been to Alabama. I don't know. But... uh mm-hmm. It is from one of the directors who made Swiss Army Man. And if you've seen that, you kind of know what you're getting into a little bit here. Uh, this is maybe a little more in the Coen Brothers kind of terrain, perhaps, uh, at least mm-hmm. like in the Fargo, but pushed to extremes. Yeah, I, I just howled at various points in this movie. And it's also very touching. Great performance by Mike Abbott, Michael Abbott Jr., who's been in a bunch of Jeff Nichols movies and is a, an alumni oh, yeah. of our school, Craig. Right on. Also, Sarah Baker, who I enjoyed quite a bit, and who's also in The Campaign, a little movie. Maybe you've seen it, or maybe yeah. you haven't. I don't know. A lot of you haven't. It's tr- uh, trust it's, me. It's forgettable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's quite good as well. And Andre Highland, who's not an actor I was familiar with, but he, he, he really cracked me up, sort of the sidekick in this thing. So... See it if you can. It's already available digitally on demand and for rent. So I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Craig. Uh, Sean. Let's talk about Spider Baby. Spider Baby. Or, comma, the maddest story ever told. That's how IMDb has this full time, which I don't think that comma's in the right place. I'm going to say I could be wrong. but It's it, like or comma? Or yeah. comma. That's what they have right now. I'm looking at the page. Well, I mean, you know what, though? A movie like this, I mean, you can pretty much put your comma anywhere you want. That's an excellent, excellent point. So this is, as we mentioned in the tee-up, a, a comedy horror. And we'll talk about the level of both of those things and how they pulled off that feat, which is not an mm-hmm. easy one to do. No. Here's a synopsis from IMDb. The caretaker devotes himself to three demented siblings after their father's death. Directed and written by Jack Hill. You got Lon Chaney Jr., the Wolfman, as Bruno, the caretaker. Carol O'Martin as Emily. Quinn Redeker as Peter. Beverly Washburn as Elizabeth. Jill Benner as, excuse me, Jill Banner as Virginia. Sid Haig as Ralph. And a few others in supporting roles. But uh, Craig, yeah, you mentioned this had long been on your to-do list. Mm-hmm. Perhaps since you were a, uh, a young'un. That's flipping true. through the pages of Fangoria magazine on the front porch That's of your house with a tall glass of Coca-Cola. I'll, I'll be honest. It was usually the newsstand of the Walden Books okay. uh, Eastland Mall. <laughs> so you but didn't yeah. have to pay for it, right? Nah, I, I generally didn't pay for yeah. them. I, I got to be honest. Well, you know, a couple trips to the mall, you can read the whole thing cover to cover. No big deal. Exactly. You can see all the cool, gory pictures anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, this had uh, been on your radar and... 
maybe that means there's a lot of expectations for it to live up to for you. Tell me, did you like it? Did you not like it? Did you really like it? Did you want to like it? Where are we? Uh, I did want to like it. Uh, I did like it. Maybe not enough to say, hey, I can't wait to watch it again. Mm -hmm. But it is, it's one of those movies. It is totally its own movie. It's not like another movie I can immediately think of. Uh, everyone in there is, I think, having a ball. And uh, and there is at least one moment in it, Sean, that I found very funny. Okay. And that I j- would really just want to watch that moment again in a weird way. There's there's some kind of it left me with some kind of itch I want to scratch. Was it by uh, just watching it again? Lon Chaney Jr. sweat stains. It was not that. Okay. No, those weren't nearly as funny as they were billed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about you? I mean, how did you feel about it? I'd say I really liked it, Craig. I, I think yeah. maybe my, you know, I I don't have the history with this movie and Walden books that you that you mm. do. So you do. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect whatsoever from this thing, and uh, it just kind of tickled me all the way through. Everything about it is kind of pitched exactly as you put it, in a way that I can't really compare to quite anything else I've seen. And uh, mm-hmm. I was trying real hard, you know, from. Uh, the house kind of looks like, uh, you know, the, the the house in Psycho a little bit, but not quite. Um, sure. and It's, it, it's like the same era. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was trying to make those connections. And I was like, no, I don't. I really don't know. Uh, it's yeah. just this odd little bird of a story that somehow got to flap its wings. Performances, I thought, like you say, like everybody is having a ball. But also, you know, as we talked about in the tee-up, Cheney got himself a standing ovation from the crew with that one monologue, and boy, mm-hmm. he really he put his all into this thing. Yeah, and especially in the, in that scene, it was those tears looked very very real, and I was kind of moved by it. But at the same time, the content of what he's saying is just nonsensical to a degree. Sure. Uh, although you know, knowing what he was talking about and how it plays out in the end, yeah, yeah, I can see why he was crying. Well, that's that is an interesting thing. Like the the way everything wraps up is is very moving yeah despite the depravity of everything i know and that's that's the thing thing. it's like yeah the time's just like i don't know that anybody should be crying like this in this movie but (laughs) somehow it works and so i think yeah it was it was a joyful experience for me it's a an hour and 21 minutes long i should should mention and it's available on amazon prime so it's an easy thing to sit down with for this halloween so let's get into it into a little more detail craig Mm. i kind of I kind of want to skip getting into detail and just go straight to asking you what was the part that made you really, really laugh. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get there. Okay, okay. So this yeah. movie, the setup is 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 pretty simple, I think. Although I want to come back to how they open it, but uh, a man d- delivers is there to deliver a message, uh, an envelope to the people that live in this house. It looks yes, a bit like the house in Psycho. And he knocks on the door and no one seems to answer. And he seems a little bit as if there's some urgency to this delivery. He says, please, someone be home. And he sees an open window. He sticks his head in his window and is uh, speaking out to try to see if anyone is there to come take this envelope so he can leave. And the windowsill suddenly closes on him. And we first meet Jill Banner, who plays Virginia. She is, I guess, the spider baby of of the title here. She, uh, it's tough to describe, I guess. She just kind of makes her appearance. She's got a, a, a net that she's sort of fashioned into a web and is talking about how, ooh, the spider has caught a bug and it's time to give a sting. And by that, mm-hmm. she means stab this messenger many, many times with two mm-hmm. knives. Now, granted, those knives... They never look quite real in this movie, Craig, at least uh, no. in this transfer that we are presented. And, I, you know, I feel like maybe that's also just a product of the era. I seem to remember many, many fake-looking knives uh, along the history of, of film uh, up sure. to a certain point. That's not a good thing, obviously, to just kill somebody that shows up in your house. But interestingly, no. another girl appears, and her name is Elizabeth. This is played mm-hmm. by Beverly Washburn. And she's sort of sporting pigtails, although both of these 
women look to be late teens, I guess, or early 20s, at least Mm -hmm. as far as the actresses are concerned. She's like, why did you do that? Now he's going to hate us. Bruno's going to hate us. And the way they're speaking to one another makes it pretty clear that some of the gears aren't exactly functioning at full capacity, perhaps, in, inside yeah. of their heads, fair to say. Mm-hmm. Caretaker Bruno, Lon Chaney Jr., comes home in a, I don't know, how, you, how what kind of car is that? Like, I was trying to... I don't know, but it's it's not a it's 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 an older car. It's like a limousine before they were stretched limousines in a way. It's like sure. that what you clearly would have a chauffeur, and that's what he used to be for the master, who he refers to several times, who we quickly discover is no longer living. And when he comes home, he finds the girls, and they're running around the yard, and finds out that they've behaved very badly. He opens the door, or one of the daughters does, and there's Ralph on the floorboard in the back, and that's Sid Haig, who I believe doesn't say an actual word in this movie. Maybe he had one or two words that he sort of mimicked back to someone. I was thinking, yeah, he was only uh, grunting. Yeah, it's mostly a grunting, very physical performance that feels as if he just stepped out of the movie freaks and uh <laughs> yeah and pulls it off really really well he, he looks disturbed he frequently can be found in the dumbwaiter inside of their house going up and down uh, between the floors mm-hmm. but what we find out is that this messenger who's now dead was delivering right. a letter of the imminent arrival of I believe, lawyer and members of this family, the Mary family, who are interested in retaining custody of the two girls. And so this is a situation where people are coming into a house where they really shouldn't be, and Mm -hmm. uh, all hell kind of breaking loose. Now, let's talk a little bit about the tone of that, because that's, you know, that's a perfectly good setup for a thousand horror movies, but that's not what makes this one unique per se. This movie, as we mentioned last week in the tee-up, it opens with a theme song for one thing, which uh, you tell me, man, when when else does that happen in horror movies? I mean, it doesn't really. For some reason, I, I was reminded of Skidoo. Yeah, especially the font, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, it kind of has this playful nature to it. Uh, I don't really remember the words of the song, but no. like the feel of it is like, this is the kind of thing like little kids would listen to at spooky Halloween, you know? Yes. And so, yeah, considering what's coming up in the movie, it's it's a, a kind of an odd choice. Screams and bones, bats and bones, and teenage monsters in haunted homes, a ghost on the stair, a vampire's bite, now better beware, there's a full moon tonight. <laughs> Spiders creep and crawl, boys and ghouls having a ball, <laughs> Frankenstein, Dracula, and even the mummy are sure to end up in somebody's tummy. <laughs> I don't really remember it being animated per se, but... The title cards have little characters like drawn on them, and and in the mm-hmm. style of that era, like the Salvas thing, almost even. Yeah, and it's it's so playful and really kind of cool looking. And then our first image is actually of Quinn Redeker, who plays the character Peter. He's sitting in a chair in what looks like almost like your sort of like prototypical '50s American house, you know. And he's right. the man, and he's got a suit on. He's got a book, and he's reading the definition of Mary syndrome, which I don't even remember exactly how it's defined, but there's the mention of the word cannibalism. And he's reading this to the camera. Like he does look straight into the lens and he's like, this is something I know about only all too well. But he says that the syndrome doesn't exist anymore and it was extinguished from the human race 10 years ago. Then we're off and running in the story from 10 years ago. Did you know about that device? No. 
Were you thrown by that device? I mean, not really. I, I was kind of, I don't know, ready for anything, I guess you could say. Like, I, I really had no idea how this thing was going to play out. Yeah. So I was just like, sure, I'll go with it. I mean, that reminded me of Rocky Horror Picture Show. I was going to say, like, there's a campiness to it that honestly, to me, it sent up a red flag a little bit. Because I was like, mm -hmm. oh, is this supposed to be like some really cheesy horror movie? Is that what we're in right. for here? I was like, that's a weird thing for this to be infamous for. Although that, it does happen. You know, usually it's the ones that are like super cheesy. Like, you got to earn that level, right, to, to stick out among yeah. all the thousands of other cheesy horror movies. So... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it, it's an interesting thing, and it, it ends up being a bookend. We come back to, to Quinn Redeker at the very end, and then uh, he has uh, some words to say, and we'll talk a little bit about that down the road. But it just sets the stage for what's to come in a way that is is such a unique fingerprint, I think. Like, I just, <laughs> like yeah. between the, the song and that reading a definition i'm just like i don't i'm in new terrain here i'm in your hands you know the bulk of the movie hinges upon quinn redeker and his sister i believe emily played by carol omart mm -hmm. who kind of looked to me and we talked before this started not the best looking transfer on amazon prime i don't know if there's a better no. one out there on dvd or whatever at times like a i got shades of meryl streep just in her face a little yeah. bit uh just sure. to give people an image although this is black and white so I don't, i'm still a little confused about what the actual situation is uh, yes. with the, that whole plot element i guess you have any insight on that Help me, or let's walk through it together. My take, take my hand, yes. Sean. Let's take my spider leg. Yeah, yes, I'll hold your spider, and you, you hold this ear. Mm -hmm. My take on it was that they were distant relatives of the parents of these kids of the Mary family, right? They're not, I don't know, related by blood somehow. Whatever it is, whatever their relation is, they are in line to get this real estate. Mm -hmm. That was my whole take on it. Okay. And so they're coming to figure out what the deal is with these maniacs that are living in the house. And essentially what they want to do is get this house and, I don't know, make money off of it. Some of that stuff I was really unclear on. I thought yeah. there was mention of they were going to have to, like the two girls were going to go in custody of, of a guardian or something. Which I don't know if is that supposed to be like the state? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I assume that would have to happen as well. Okay. And I think I, 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 I did get, kind of get the feeling that uh, it was almost like the script was trying not to just lay it all out. Yeah. So they were kind of like trying to keep it in these casual conversations. But yeah, like the casual conversations weren't totally connecting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I know. I feel your pain on that. Well, what I did like is that when we first meet them, uh, we just sort of get like a POV shot in a car and Emily is driving and she's just a terrible driver. She's like all over the place. The dynamic between them is Peter is almost kind of like hopelessly naive and optimistic, I guess, or uh, or he doesn't care really. Okay, see, because <laughs> I he's definitely with the children or the girls and Ralph. He's very friendly. Oh, they're just you know, isn't that yeah. nice? Isn't that helpful? You know, they're just different as all. They're special. Sure. Whereas Emily's kind of repelled by them. Right. W with good reason, it turns out, I think, right? I mean, yeah. If you yeah follow it all the way to the end, yeah. But then there's the character of Schlocker, played by Schlocker. Carl Shanzer, who we talked about, who I think was the one that moonlighted as a detective. Which is also just kind of funny because he's like far and away shorter than anybody else in this movie, at least like, by appearance. Sure. Uh, again... I don't quite know like exactly what his profession is or what his job. No, he's definitely the well, man I, in charge. I figured though, he was right? the yeah. I figured he was the lawyer. Yeah, I, I think so. Right. Yeah, it, it's something to do with this entire situation from a, a purpose of the estate, I guess, uh, if nothing mm -hmm. else. And it's funny that this and the Lodgers ended up having some crossover in that way uh, between the David Bradley stuff in that movie. But anyway, he is, he's almost dismissive of them entirely. Yeah. Is clearly just there for whatever personal gain he can merit and to wrap this up as quickly as possible. However, Craig, the big sort of like plot point in this movie, 
uh, after they have this disgusting meal is that they're tired and want to stay in this house. And in fact, Schlocker and Emily kind of insist upon staying there. Yeah. And that's a stretch. That is definitely a stretch. And to the point where, like, Lon Chaney's like, well, we're not, I'm sorry, like, we weren't expecting guests. You know, we just got your letter like two hours ago. We're not really set up for that. And they're just like, nope, nope, not going to hear it. We're staying. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you have you have strangers show up to your door and insist they have some right to your property and then insist that they're going to stay the night. Yes. In a place where yeah. they're clearly disturbed by everything everyone is doing. No, a- yeah. a- absolutely everything is, yeah, is like nothing is conducive to going to sleep. Yeah, so I could have used a little more, uh, uh, this kind of reminded me of, you know, the family in Beetlejuice. Yes, yes. Right, they move into this house and they're like, oh, you know, we'll modernize it and we'll do all these things to it and so on. So like a little bit, but I could have used a little more excitement on their part for what they were going to do with the place. Yeah. I think there was some mention of, of ideas, but, but yeah, to stay there the night, I, there's no way I would have stayed the night there. Not a chance. Even if everyone was normal there. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I was going to stay there. Now, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned Beetlejuice because even like uh, the uh, uh, Virginia character and Winona Ryder in that movie, like maybe there's a bit of an inspiration just in the look of it and stuff. Yeah. But well, let's talk about that meal that they have. So we know that your know, you know, body has been uh, whisked away. We saw Lon Chaney put it in the dumbwaiter, which I thought was hilarious mm-hmm. because like he, there's no strain on Lon Chaney whatsoever picking up this no. man who is quite large. You know, it was uh, yeah. Manton Moreland, like not a small person, and like he just like folds him up and bumps his head on the side of the wall, <laughs> put him in his dumbwaiter. That was pretty great. The, 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 the so casual the about it too. It was like I love it. Yeah. You know? and he is like the only like not, he's not a, a Mary. I don't think he's not a member of this family. No. So he is the closest you get to having a normal human being. I think in this right. film, there's a moment too I want to talk about when the girls were sort of mopping up the blood. Virginia brings a box over. It's revealed what's in the box later, but I had no idea at the time, and it felt like I was supposed to know. Did you feel that way at all? What the ear? Yeah, yeah, the ear was from uh, from the postman. Yeah, but did they show it in the box that like when she was cleaning up the blood? No, but at some point she she picked it up and took it over to that desk. Yeah, and like was I mean she was she was putting it in something. Something about the the cutting of that scene or the way it was shot it was just weird. I, I felt like I missed it as opposed to like. Oh, you're not supposed to like. We're very clearly right. saying she just did something, and we don't. I don't know. It was just weirdly put together and constructed, and, and I'm dumb. But um, yep, those two things are never a good mix. So they clean it up, and the family shows up, and they're like, "Well, yeah, okay, yes, we can have a meal. You guys are hungry, and uh, well, let us put something together." We get a little fun sequence where Ralph goes and chases down a cat and obviously kills it, even though it happens off camera. Spider Baby is acting weird in the yard full of mushrooms and looking for insects. Mm-hmm. When they serve this food, it is so disgusting looking. It is even yeah. a black and white in 1967. That might be the goriest thing in this movie, I got to say. <laughs> yeah. It's so gross. The mushroom dish or whatever that Virginia or Elizabeth eats is just absolutely repulsive. Uh, but we've, yes. they describe themselves as vegetarians, which I thought was interesting. But, <laughs> you know, Ralph gets to eat whatever he kills. And so they think it's rabbit. And I I did like, uh, again, like thinking about Beetlejuice, like Peter is sort of like the father equivalent in that movie. He's like, oh, doesn't this look delightful? Good on you, Ralph, for killing something, you know, and providing for yourself. But they set up the situation then where Schlocker and Emily are staying the night, but there's really no room for Schlocker's, I guess she's a secretary, played by Mary Mitchell, whose name is Anne. Right. character's name is Anne. And so Peter clearly has eyes for her and mm-hmm. offers to take her back to a hotel in town. So they leave, and now you've got a situation where like the obnoxious people are staying in this house, and the people that seem kind of nice have left. Right. It's only a matter of time before we know what's going to happen, right? It's just sort of right. how it's going to happen. Prior to going to bed for the night, Schlocker says something to Emily about there's definitely something weird going on in this house, and I'm going to find out what it is. 
I think some of that is based on like he saw Ralph like messing around with a cabinet where or a shelf where it you know clearly is just a is hiding a door. Right. This also sort of starts off a very weird sequence for me. I thought, which is while Schlocker is snooping around the house, Emily is upstairs in Virginia's room, I believe, and just helps herself to all the negligee and lingerie in the closet. Right. Trying on outfits in front of a mirror. That is unusual, Sean. I'll agree with you there. You go and you stay in a house where you don't belong. It's kind of a creepy house. And you're delighted to find lingerie in the closet. And you put it on and dance around. There was a part of me that was wondering if, is there some sort of mania that's that, that that's catching? You know, is there some kind of, it yeah. was really, it was really an odd move. Like why, yeah, why this character? She got the striptease flu. Yeah. for And for nobody. Like not even, she's not there with any guy that she likes or anything. Like just like, and maybe this is one of volumes of things I don't understand about women too. You know what I mean? Like this could, a woman watching this could be like, yes, of course, that's what I would do too. No, I think we could take a poll and we would be okay in thinking that this is odd human behavior if for no other reason than if I were in that room, I would be sleeping in my clothes and my shoes just because of how gross this house looks. On top of the covers. And maybe not even on the bed. Maybe I'll just sleep in a chair because, yeah, I don't know yeah. what's happened to those covers. I can pretty well guarantee they haven't been washed in six months. And I will say to the movie's credit, like, again, it's not a best-looking transfer, but I think that production design came through really well. Like, this place looks awful. Like, it, it's it, sure. it's got a good sort of, like, creepy vibe to it. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is clearly one of those products of this is going to be a drive-in theater movie and this guy worked for uh, Roger Corman, right? So you just yeah. got to show some cleavage in there. And cleavage they show. Sure. It catches the attention of Ralph, who's spying on her from the window. She sees him and screams, and there's a chase, and she's chased outside by the girls as well. I think she bumps into Ralph out there, which well, that was a nice little creepy moment. And yeah. he takes her to the ground, and we hear what I presume to be him eating her because me too what we know about ralph is he's able to eat any meat that he catches and also right. we know from the tee up there were like 14 different titles for this movie that all had to do with the liver eaters right mm -hmm. <laughs> and so i was waiting for that finally he's getting his liver right yeah. because i totally expected it at the dinner that they were going to be served the guy that had been killed the messenger right and Unless I missed it, Craig, I don't believe that was the case. Yeah, I don't think that was the case. I think the only meat on that table was the cat. Yeah. So, again, I'm waiting for the cannibalism thing to creep in. I thought it happened there. Uh, we'll get to that in a second, but I don't believe it did. Schlocker, in his wisdom and uh, pompousness, is searching around this house because, I guess, that's just what you do at night as opposed to, like, I feel like he could just ask you know, and, and claim some right to have a look around. You know, they probably would have let him, right? Right, right. To a degree, anyway. Uh, he discovers uh, the bookshelf that moves and leads down to the basement. And what we know about the basement is that this is where Uncle Ned and Aunt Martha are. And we don't know much more beyond that, except that when the body is shoved into the dumbwaiter, it's going downstairs and yeah. into that basement. I think the presumption is to be eaten. That's also what I would think. And maybe that's why they don't serve any of that guy at the dinner. It's because he's already been eaten. Because it all was eaten downstairs, yep. Schlocker gets killed by the girls in the basement and find him down there. And uh, I don't think it's there we get our glimpse of uh, Aunt Martha and Uncle Ned, but we do see their hands at various moments. It's almost like they're in a pit, right, of some kind yeah. in the basement. It's yeah. pretty creepy. It's pretty creepy. It, it is. There's also a nice creepy shot then when Bruno comes in the house and Schlocker's body is sort of being raised on the dumbwaiter. Virginia tells uh, Bruno that Elizabeth made her do it and all this stuff. But... <laughs> I, I, I like that uh, when we cut back to Peter and Anne, the secretary, they're in the car and like they're definitely lit. Like Peter's drunk for sure. Yeah. All the hotels are full. So where do they go, Craig? 
they can't find a hotel because hotel, uh, motels, right? Because they're very popular this at this point in, in our history. And so they say, well, there's nothing we can do. Let's uh, go back to the house. Which is such a weird... <laughs> that's like a plot thing you would never do. It's like, well, let's just have these people leave for a little bit. And then they'll just yes. come back. I'm like, there's no... <laughs> Oh yeah, it's really no rhyme or reason. Absolutely, and honestly, if if Peter was not probably the most I don't know entertaining character in the maybe not entertaining, yeah. but I, I I have an affinity for Peter at this point. He's likable. He's cool with everybody, mm-hmm. and let everybody do their thing, you know. And it's great. But I got I got to jump in here because we are now leading up to the part that I found laugh out loud funny. And, and I can only assume that it was it was meant to be that way. So, yeah. So these gnarly, grisly things have happened since Peter and... Uh, I'm sorry, what's her name? Anne. Anne left, right? And Peter and Anne are honestly having a great time. Yeah, I mean, they had a good night by all accounts. They're having a great time. So, But now they're heading back. They're both drunk as skunks and they're driving, which is what you do in 1967. They're probably going to bone if oh, given man. the opportunity. They are definitely going to the bone town Yeah, when they get there. Uh, and where else would you want to do it but in a spooky old house? <laughs> yes. I mean... I've learned nothing from horror movies. That's what you do. Yeah, for. really. Uh, but anyway, so they go back. They're walking up the steps to the house. And there's Virginia and Elizabeth standing sort of in front of her. They're both standing there with smiles plastered on their faces that don't almost don't move. Yep. And they're holding their dresses up daintily, like the, like to the side with like two fingers. Sort like good, of. good hostesses but, do. Like right. in a pose, yeah. yeah. And like <laughs> Peter and Anne are walking up and they both sort of immediately feel like, what's heck going on? This is, <laughs> yeah. this seems a little weird. But Elizabeth and Virginia are, in their minds anyway, to me, in their minds are successfully covering for the fact that horrible murders have happened since they left yeah and really what made me laugh out loud was beverly washburn's amazing performance as elizabeth and i i think it was just the delivery of the line like welcome home uncle peter yeah and and like they're just talking in this way that's so stilted but they're being very smiley like they're not nervous no it just was the funniest thing to me there were so many things going on the reaction of peter and the way they were playing it off was <laughs> so stilted. Yeah. I love that. I loved that whole moment. That was like worth the, watching the whole thing for me. Yeah. It's like little kids playing mom and dad. Like, you know, yeah. they're, they're pretending to be that. And uh, yeah, it was really funny. God, was, I feel like there was a moment where they did something like that with those two where one of them, where they both kind of g- looked in the camera for a second. Oh, I did not detect that. Okay, and it felt intentional to me. Uh, maybe I'll see if I have it in my notes. But anyway, yeah, so they come in, and of course, you know, you can read on Anne's face that she doesn't necessarily want to be split up from Peter. But, uh, you know, he's like, oh, no, you go right ahead, and I'll stay in this room, you know, blah, blah, you know, please, yeah. I insist. You know, it's like he's trying to be a gentleman, and uh, it's, or and also, like, the girls were really like, no, come on upstairs, you know, we've got a perfect room for you. And so they lead her upstairs. And they go into a room, which by this point we know is Daddy's room. And there was a nasty little scene prior to this where Virginia and Elizabeth talk about, are you going to say goodnight to Daddy? Yep. And they film it in a way where Virginia is at the foot of the bed and then she leans over and kisses what is a corpse. She kisses the skull of her dead father. Yeah. So there's some good tension in that moment of just waiting for this poor woman to be brought into this room with this awful, awful thing in the bed. Mm-hmm. And it's still wearing pajamas, by the way. And she's about to see it when Ralph grabs her from behind. And I really, like, I felt discomfort in that moment. Like, it it worked for me on a horror level in that scene. Even though, yeah, it's like on the hills of this, like, weird thing that made you laugh out loud, right? Yeah. She's taking taken out. Peter ends up getting tied to a chair because he's playing spider with Virginia. And when I say he's playing, really it's her, but he, you know, him right. being the nice uncle, he's playing along. She says something about 
his juice will taste better, like as a bug, and it's all this stuff, and it's it's oh, yeah. gross, and like she ruffles his hair, and it's a little it's a little sexual. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's where they were going, but uh, it to the point where Peter says, you know, Virginia, I think we better play a new game, and right. she gets in his lap, and she's like nuzzling his neck. It's really uncomfortable, and uh, she goes to get her knives, and I think maybe. Maybe that was when we saw the ear in the box. I can't remember. But anyway, it's in the same sort of bureau set of drawers that she has. She's, by all intents and purposes, going to stab and kill him, but is called away by her sister. Right. She's called away because, like, Ralph won't let go of the secretary. And, like, that, too, is like, Sid Haig, like, oh, he's so good in this movie. And, like, what he's asked to do is just like, oh, God, this is really getting uncomfortable. So they're planning to, like, they're going to find something sharp to either get him to let go or or kill uh, Anne, I guess. And then it got really confusing to me because shortly right after this, we cut to the yard and we find out that Emily is actually alive. Yeah. The hero was, I thought she got eaten or something. Me too. Not only is she alive, but she sits up, and I think the first thing she says is Ralph, but like that, like not like... Yeah, not like she's traumatized. Yeah, it's as if she wants to find him and, in fact, goes back to the house. That was very strange. I, can, I cannot explain that to you other than uh, if the syndrome is passed to her somehow, if he bit her. I, I don't know. I don't, right. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe some spider baby aficionados out there can explain that to me. Nonetheless, it makes it makes for an interesting moment for sure. Yeah. So with the girl out of the room, Peter is trying to free himself. He reaches for one of the knives. You got like three tarantulas coming out of the shadow. Ugh, I hate those things. I just want to squash them. It's gross. Yeah. Nightmare juice. That's the words I wrote in my notes. I hate it. <laughs> He's strapped to the chair. It's so uncomfortable. I don't remember how. I guess Emily goes in the house looking for Ralph and ends up in the basement and ends up being grabbed by... Uncle Ned and Aunt Martha. Right. Okay, this is where I have my note that we get a reaction shot of Virginia and Elizabeth, and it felt like they looked in the camera and were like smiling in that same sort of way that they were smiling when they were welcoming Peter. I don't know. I have to. I want to go back I and watch that. I did not notice that. It yeah. was quick. Anyway, you might be asking, well, where is Lon Chaney in all of this? Well, he had left the house after delivering a very emotional speech, the one we talked about where he broke into tears and got a standing ovation, because he's gone out to get something that he described as a new toy. But when he returns, we find out the new toy is actually dynamite. Yeah. And this has been, I guess, set up slightly when, when Bruno earlier in the movie is driving Schlocker to the house and they have to wait while, uh, I guess, a crew is doing some blasting. Yeah. And you hear it. You never see anything, of course, because they don't have the budget for that. But he shows up. He's got this dynamite. There's a weird thing that happened where it felt like because of the tarantulas, Peter is you know thrashing in this chair that he's tied to. He fell backwards, and suddenly he ended up in the basement. I didn't right. quite make out our architecture of the house where that would make sense in my head. Yeah. Nonetheless, it happened. Bruno is down there. I think the whole family is there at this point. And he lights a fuse. He tells Peter he should get out of there. Peter grabs Anne, the secretary. And the girls are just kind of transfixed by the fuse. They don't know what this dynamite is. Right. They're just kind of interested in it because it is the new toy. And... Ned and Martha crawl out of the hole. You get this sort of like freak shot where you just like they're coming straight at the camera. I don't know, man. I It happened so quickly. I didn't get a good read on it, but it felt like one of them was almost covered in fur or something. Their face was. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't make that up. No. Is that I, Uncle I, Ned? I, I did kind of wonder about that. I, like, I mean, I assumed it was Ned. Like, was that a nod to the Wolfman, or was that just like, that's what happens? Oh, you know, it could have been a nod to the Wolfman. They they make a very direct reference and homage to it earlier in the movie during the dinner scene. Yeah, but it, it was it was a very odd thing to see, for sure. And, and, I mean, still effective, but yeah, definitely a weird thing to look at. The fuse is lit. Peter and Anne make a break for it. They run out of the house. 
We get an explosion and a flash of light. And uh, we cut back to, to Quinn Redeker there. It's Peter in his book, his, his dictionary, talking to the camera again. He escaped. He inherited the wealth of the Mary family that was in this trust or estate somehow. And he, he explains, like, well, it turned out to be quite a lot. Which that, I'm just like, well, how the hell did anybody in that family make money? And, like, when? Like, how long have they been cannibals? And when did this, like, thing happen, you know? Yeah. Explains that, yeah, the, the Mary syndrome is extinguished. His own branch of the family never suffered the curse. Here he is with his now wife and the secretary and their daughter. But it's not quite the end, Craig, is it? No. No, it can't be. Because the daughter goes outside and she's standing in the yard. And she's looking generally creepy. And she looks up into the camera and smiles. And we get a reverse shot and see a spider in a web. And uh, I guess we can assume she's going to start eating some livers too. Yeah. If that's what they do. I'm still not, I'm still not entirely sure about that. <laughs> I mean, well, here's the thing. I do feel like, you know, if you take into account the daughter's wardrobe and her general look. Yeah. It's a very spider babyish look. Very much so. I think that's a good visual correlation that we're supposed to make there. I'm kind of surprised that that, you know, connection has not been made. It would be something I would be worried about for the rest of my life if I knew that run ran in any part of my family. Yes. And isn't it interesting almost how this mirrors a bit the ending of I Married a Witch? Right. It's fun to talk about a movie like this in, in logical terms, you know, because of <laughs> clearly it just, it's not too concerned with that at, at, at most cases. I'm left certainly with questions about this syndrome, this affliction of this family. You know, there are moments right. where Lon Chaney talks about it being something that's, I guess, regressive. There's a point where uh, these children, I guess, will reach that point of no return and perhaps end up like Uncle Ned and Aunt Martha. And he's promised the deceased father that he would do his best to protect them, I guess. And if that means protecting them from this disease, which is maybe why they they only eat vegetables and bugs, maybe that makes sense. Or if it's just to do the best he can, which that comes through loud and clear. Yeah. You know, if there is a tragic hero in this story, it's Bruno for sure. It's, uh, it's the yeah. guy that was charged with the duty and feeling the obligation to honor a dead man's wishes. And he even talks about that a little bit uh, with Schlocker mm-hmm. and the importance of that, which I thought was touching. And like, he really definitely, definitely sold it. Well, it's interesting to me too, that, that you know, despite even how campy the movie is and, and it's kind of, it's a, it's cartoonish uh, treatment of, you know, mental health. Yeah. That like, you know, at the core of it, you have the story of here are some human beings who have some mental problems and here's the guy who is taking care of them, not not in a resentful way or any of that stuff. No, like he, yeah. he made a promise. He loves these kids, the adults, really, I guess, and, and, and the whole family. And he's, he's doing his best to take care of them. That's kind of an interesting take for a movie of this era. Yeah. And it, it also is one where I feel like, you know, you could conceivably reboot this movie as well and like really maybe just try to ground it on this character you know and just the real struggle that he's faced with this dilemma here um yeah and i think you would want to involve him a little more in that you know it's just another situation where a character leaves the house because it's kind of convenient to the plot and then comes back because it's convenient to the plot so right that said, you know, it's like in this kind of movie, I think there's just certainly things that I forgive at least, you know, and it's not even something I thought too long and hard about until, you know, you sit and dissect it. But that's what we're here for, to sit and dissect. We dissect, yes. I'm curious about, A, can you see sort of, you know, we talked a little bit in the tee-up about this as a transitional film in horror? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I can I can see that. It's it's certainly one of those that that bridges a gap between like the truly campy, you know. We we have our uh, I married a monster from outer space right type movies, and then you have these ones that are that are kind of a mix where it's like the subject matter is so much darker yet still treated with some amount of camp and comedy that's that's mm-hmm. both unintended and intended. Definitely fits my uh, definition of a a bridging movie. Yeah, it feels like certainly watching this after 
I uh, married a monster from outer space. It's like, okay, yeah, this is when movies started telling stories about monsters. You were human, right? As opposed right. to, uh, you know, some other thing. Right. It's such a cool way to do that, I think, in this case where you've got children as your component of that sort of monstrous thing. And then the mental health side of it. I mean, and then having yeah. that sympathetic character uh, in the core of that, trying to to, to keep them from becoming what they probably are. Right. It's just kind of a cool dynamic that I guess I wasn't expecting and still like isn't what this movie really is because of yeah. the tone of it. So that was my second question really was, did this work for you just as a scary movie at all? I mean, it, it did not work as a scary movie. Okay. As much as I can admit that it is very dark, mm -hmm. it never really had that that thing that got under my skin and like really made me, you know, feel for any, like there, there was certainly a, a distance between me and the characters in the movie that like, I, I was always watching it. I was never kind of into it. Yeah. I think that for me that like the, again, the scariest stuff was actually just the grossness of things. You know, I, I yeah. was a little put off guard by when the, that guy gets stabbed in the, the, the first death, I guess the first kill. Just, oh yeah. You know, I mean, that, that was, was real quick. Right. And it, it's like, there's a lot of just sort of like shots, like straight on where she's looking kind of into the camera and coming right at you. And, uh, you know, that's horrific to me. And then, you know, there's things that are gross, like eating bugs. And then there's things that are just kind of uncomfortable, which is like the guys in the basement, I guess. Right. Uh, so it's, I, I don't know, it's just, it's got a lot of different layers to that. And I, I do really wonder, like, what, like, where would you land with a remake with some of that stuff? Because it is so hard to, to do camp in 2019, I think, you know? It definitely is. I mean, the thing is, like, now you can play it in a way where it's so realistic. Yeah. Like, the, the actual visual representation of people being murdered and so on can be spot on exactly what it is. And, you know, with, with comedy being the way it is now, where it's it seems like the pace of comedy now is much quicker. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, there could be a really interesting movie in that, but I don't know exactly how to blend that. Like, you'd really have to... To like get into it and and find that scene, find that moment where, like, it, it, both of those things kind of gel. Yeah. And and you'd be like, yeah, that's the movie, and that's like that's the tightrope we got to walk. Exactly, because I I could see a very serious version of this same story, but that wouldn't sure. be Spider Baby. That would not be this movie, right? Yeah. Well, I don't I don't think it would be very fun to watch. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no know? kidding. And, yeah. and I mean, honestly, maybe maybe Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the serious version of this right in a way yeah it's a good and point. i mean that's i mean saying that's fun to watch is a weird thing but i've certainly watched that <laughs> yeah. a number of times yeah that's good but yeah i mean to do it like this like it's almost like you you'd need something like the first evil dead movie mm -hmm. which is still to me is one of the really high marks of like something that has moments that are truly scary and also that are laugh out loud funny yeah that's not easy man it's not, which is all the more reason why I, I do really appreciate this movie. And seeing it done in this era, again, it's just like I, I, it doesn't have a lot of contemporaries that I know of, right? Not a ton. If anybody else has seen anything that kind of manages that tone from like 50s, 60s, or even 70s, yeah, I would, I would love to know about that because uh, I think it's, it is a sort of like a really interesting thing to examine like how they maneuver that. I guess casting Sid Haig helps and uh, sure. Quinn Redeker helps a little bit too. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I definitely think it's it's a good one to put on this time of year and is an easy thing to sort of sit through and check out and just appreciate the oddness. Uh, what about you? You think, um, so let's say a diehard horror fan who has not yet seen this movie. How So how would you preface their expectations? A diehard horror fan, I would probably just say you should have watched this by now. You know, really. What's wrong? I with mean, you? It, it, exactly. I mean, if 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 you really like horror movies, this is a part of the history right here. Yeah. Like you need to you need to check this out because there's not another movie like it. But I think there are a lot of movies that that have have learned lessons from it. So uh, get on it, jerk. Good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Anything else that we didn't cover with this movie? Not that I can think of. I think we did a, a, a an amazing job yet again. We walked you into the house, and uh, we left you there. 
to go get drunk and come back. And uh, we're sorry for everything that happened while we were gone, but not too yeah. sorry. So that's Spider Baby, 1967. Jack Hill, writer, director. Amazon Prime has it. You should check it out. Uh, we're back next month with a whole new slate. And until then, Craig, any last words for our Halloween listeners? Yes. Just because something isn't good doesn't mean it's bad. Well said. Well said. Just like this podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. We'll talk next time. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>